Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Ryan Goral is the founder of Gspire Group, a company focused on helping entrepreneurs, executives, and small business owners acquire companies. Gspire Group provides fractional corporate development executive services to companies who are growing through mergers and acquisitions. Adding leadership capacity to your team, they support your M&A efforts by providing execution-oriented support and companies in strategic planning through integration efforts. Ryan has an extensive 15 years of experience focused on working with small businesses. In addition to providing creative financing solutions, Ryan's expertise is centered in adding value to entrepreneurs and executives with all aspects of their organization's growth and mergers and acquisitions, from capital structuring and advising on strategic fit to conducting thorough due diligence through final transaction execution and integration, Ryan brings a value-producing mindset to a company's growth ambitions. Ryan, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, so listen, we're going to, folks, obviously you heard Ryan helps people with with M&A, so there's no question as to why, you know, he's a fit for the podcast. You may have jumped to the conclusion, you know, that, that he's an investment banker or something like that, which is not quite what he does. Uh, so we're going to really define what exactly he does, because um, I had an idea even when we did our pre-call and wanted to really understand it. And it's such a crucial service. But before we get there, Ryan, I want to take you back to when you were growing up as a kid, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is, um, you know, uh, providing these uh, these fractional m support probably wasn't it at that time. But you tell me. No, it, uh, when I was eight, nine, 10, I probably want to be a professional baseball or basketball player. Um, you know, there was no business. There was, it was all about sports for me. Uh, so I was wanting to be an NBA or major league baseball player. Yeah. Like a lot of us, right. Until we we quickly figured out we we weren't going to get there. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And, and looking back, uh, uh, what, what was your first deal of any type or any, whatever you remember, it could be something when you were a kid or something early in your career. Uh, the first thing you would consider a deal that comes to mind. A deal. Yeah. I, um, and there's so many that come to mind, but I, th- I think the first deal coming out of college, I've ne- you know never really had a, a career or a job um, and going through a process of selling myself mm-hmm. um, to a number of employers um, and, ex- and kind of tasting that um, you know process of pitching who you are, and, and um, I think the 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 company that hired me the first time, I, I would argue that would be one of the first deals I made. Uh, you know, no experience, just a kid out of college, 
you know, selling dreams and rainbows, you know, and, <laughs> um, but that one's, that's the first one that comes to mind when you, you, know, you say, uh, you know, first uh, memorable deal. Sure. Sure. Well, and that's always important. So what is a fractional corporate development executive? Because that is a term, uh, you know, I remember when, when we, uh, when we spoke and met originally, uh, I said, I think I know what that is, but that's actually not a term that's out there. You know, you, you hear fractional business development executives who work more on the organic growth sales side, things like that, fractional CFOs. I mean, the con- concept of fractional executives has existed, but uh, that's a term that a lot of folks may not know and and uh, not surprisingly based upon what you told me about it. Yeah. Well, you said it earlier. Um, I'm not a broker, not a banker. Um, you know, my personality is not transactional. Um, so it's just not a good fit for me personally. In my travels, I, I saw a need in the market for, you know, these lower middle market, small, lower middle market businesses who are trying to grow through acquisitions and they didn't have, you know, uh, a cadre of advisors. Um, oftentimes, you know, I, I started from the commercial banking side and I was the one providing, you know, as much support and advice as I could while still being tethered to a financial institution. So there was only so much I could actually do. So I saw the need in the market of someone needs to be helping these, these owner operators execute these things while they're also trying to run their business. Um, So I saw the need, um, you know, got trained around mergers and acquisitions. And then I started learning about, you know, this word corporate development which might seem kind of like an oxymoron when you start talking small businesses or lower middle market businesses. And it defines exactly what I was seeing in the market as needing for these smaller businesses. So it feels like at times I'm creating a whole new space, which has its challenges, but it's fun as well. And, you know, the, what I've come up with is a fra- I looked at the fractional business model, which is working for CFOs. You'll see fractional CMOs out there. Um, I said, well, there's, you know, bigger companies have these entire groups and departments and executives leading inorganic growth for these, these bigger businesses. Why don't we just take that corporate development concept and bring it into the lower middle market in a fractional way? And um, that's what I do. I help businesses grow through acquisitions um, as a fractional executive. So, I'm, uh, and that's an important point because, I'm helping with everything from strategy through integration. Mm-hmm. So it's not about the transaction. It's making sure it's the right strategy, make sure it fits within their overall uh, growth plan. Um, it's also really getting defined on the what and the why of an acquisition. It's not, let's just go do it. And let's just do, do a transaction and hope for the best. It's why are we doing it? And does it align with you know our bigger vision? And then it's doing the, the, the legwork, you know, it's the, the building the plan, doing the outreach to the target companies, negotiating deals based on risk, risk profiles. The due diligence process is cumbersome. And, you know, this is, this is all work that, you know, for an owner operator to spend their time and energy on while running their businesses is very difficult. Um, so I'll quarterback due diligence, work with, um, you know, getting the capital put together and then, you know, helping with the integration, which is just as important, if not more important than just transacting. Um, so that's, that's what I define as kind of your corporate development fractional executive. <laughs> yeah. And listen, I love, you know, for, 
for our listeners who've been you know listening to the podcast for any length of time here, you know, you can tell that this hits on a lot of themes that I've talked about in the past. I mean, you know, one is um, a while back now, maybe six months ago, something like that. I did two uh, solo casts back to back on my 10 step uh, process on how I prep people for doing deals. And, and the first step in my process is figuring out the why, you know, and that's what, you know, what Ryan talked about, right? You get the why and the why, you know, what's, you know, what's the why? I mean, why are we even doing this? Uh, you know, what's the strategy around it? How does it integrate with our uh, general growth plan? Um, so that's definitely a theme that that resonates and helping companies do that is crucial because, you know, especially in, in, in the small business space, when there's often this pressure just to grow for growth's sake. And, it, and, and, you know, I know many people who've done that and been, and wondered why they did it, you know, uh, when, when, when in some cases they're not making any more money and they have more headaches and, you know, and whatever, right. Because they didn't do it right. And then the, um, and then the second theme that, um, you know, that, that I think uh, regular listeners will, will, will pick up on um, is this, you know, where I always talk about, especially for smaller and mid-sized companies that, you know, obviously I'm an advocate for doing deals, advocate for doing M&A, but it, it, it could be a huge distraction, right? Especially if you don't have the executive team that's, you know, that, that's there and built and you haven't done it before. And, you know, I've definitely seen uh, people who've gone to focus on that route it's, and it's adversely affected their existing business or, and or they don't have the right talent in place so they can't get successfully get a deal done. And they are in this catch-22 where, you know, they can't afford to, to hire a bunch of people full-time who are deal you know, folks and have that experience like the big boys can. And so, you know, uh, you know, I was excited to have you on, Ryan. And when we spoke, because I think this fractional uh, concept, like you said, it's worked, you know, in, in other areas, uh, you know, and uh, there really aren't a lot of folks. Um, in fact, there's nobody else I know who's doing it fractionally in terms of, you know, your particular expertise that you bring. So, you know, listeners, I, I think, um, you know, it's a great thought, right, on resource on how you can affordably because it's fractional and, you know, and, and, and also just the fact that you don't need somebody full time, you know, when you're a small business doing your first deal, for example, a, a second deal. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you more. So let's talk about, all right. So, so I think uh, listeners get it, they get what you do and, and I've uh, hopefully helped uh, establish the need for it based upon what we've talked about in the past on this podcast, even before I met you. Um, so when you deal with these small and, you know, uh, small businesses, lower, lower middle market businesses, you know, in addition to like the, what you do from the tasks that you do them, what do you find their biggest challenges are? What, what do you find that you have to help them work through most to prepare themselves to actually be, you know, be buyers? I mean, one of the, one of the um, ongoing sort of jokes that a lot of deal lawyers, investment bankers and brokers have is that most companies that want to be buyers should actually be sellers or, or, you know, uh, end up being sellers because they can't figure out how to do the buy side and they're too small. Right. So what, what, you know, what, what do you find and how do you actually get these companies to be successful sellers? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the, you know, the, the owner operators of these lower middle market companies, small businesses, you know, the companies I'm targeting just so we can put, put some context on the sizes are, you know, anywhere in that 10 to 70 million in revenue. Uh, yep. That's that's kind of the, the sweet spot. And what you find in those types of businesses is the the owner, there's a, usually an owner operator or a management team that is hyper-focused on the demands of operating the company, which 
is no small feat. There's 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 human resource challenges, it seems like daily, or customer fire drills, and they get sucked into the operations. And one of the one of the things that I I help them with or attempt to help them with is um, providing a resource so they can at least think about their business more strategically instead of being you know pulled into the weeds every day. And one of the hardest things is that's not a it's not a comp it's not something they do all the time. You know they've done it. They're amazing operators. Their businesses are profitable. These these are good businesses. Um, but when you start talking about vision and you know where do you want to be three, five, ten years from now, um, and how that can come together, it's it's just it's hard. And so it there is a step uh, initially when I engage with a client, I it's a strategy review slash company readiness um, type of process that I run, and this is really just to flush some of this out. It's it's forced time on their calendar. That says we're going to focus on kind of digging, you know, pulling you out of the weeds and then really digging into vision. And what I see a lot of times is it's not very clear. Right. Um, so that's one challenge. Um, and then the other challenge is, you know, it's hard for a lot of these owner operators to understand what life looks like with either a or bigger business, mm-hmm. like roles change. Oh, there's a whole unknown of what that might look like for them, which is scary. And I, I, I appreciate the scariness of that big of a change. And then the, some of the, the folks I work with are thinking about buying so they can prep to sell. Mm-hmm. And prepping to sell is a, a whole other scary thing. You know, what are you going to do after you sell? And so there, it's an emotional kind of process to think about a bigger business and potentially selling. So it's just, those are some of the initial challenges. And, you know, I think that that's, you, you bring up something I talk about a lot, which is the why, you know, it's a simple, where are you going and why? And if you can kind of, it's amazing what those couple of things, those two or three questions will really bring out in a, you know, a very transparent discussion that cleans up a lot of the work that needs to be done, but it just takes the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No question. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because another thing we, we often talk about on this podcast is the, this concept of the mindset of the deal maker, right? Which is, you know, there, there's, there's, there's the mindset of an entrepreneur that distinguishes these entrepreneurs from folks that, you know, are going to work for, you know, somebody, right? Uh, and, you know, we, there's all kinds of discussions about, you know, whether people are born entrepreneurs or situational entrepreneurs. And, and I do believe there's both and there's a difference, but I also believe there are people who will never be entrepreneurs. But and but there's there's less of a conversation, I think, of the mindset of a deal maker, right? You know, in a true grounded, you know, way, not, not, not in that, you know, kind of, you know, uh, ego kind of, oh, I'm a big deal, you know, guy, you know, like I'm, I'm talking about really the people who, who, who can get deals done. And, you know, and I think, you know, I think that's what you're, you're talking about initially is right. Taking these owner operator folks who, again, have, you know, run profitable companies there, they've, they're very good entrepreneurs and, you know, between the why and the strategic planning and having them step back from, you know, uh, the day to day and being in the weeds, trying to, you know, start to work with them to work on that mindset of a deal maker, right? Yeah. Wasn't it? It's, it's a trend. And I use the word transform as, as I try not to use the word transform in a scary way, but it is transforming business owners into CEOs. 
Yeah. That's how I mentally can understand what I'm the journey I'm taking my clients on is it's a very different skill set to be an operator and then a CEO. And there's a, there's a process and a path. Uh, it's a mental shift between, you know, there's, there's trust, there's, there's um, control, there's, um, there's a whole host of things that you kind of have to work through and be comfortable with. And it doesn't happen with you know, Ryan showing up at the doorstep saying, let's go gr- buy something. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, it's, it's these slow morphing discussions of you know, what could this look like? And um, let's lay out, you know, let's lay out a timeline that, that allows this stuff to be digested before we turn on the switch. And hey, it's the fulfilling work. I mean, I, I love this. I picked this business and I picked this segment specifically because I love these business owners and these size businesses and the, the opportunity that, you know, that a transaction can provide them and their families and the employees and um, the communities that the, the employees live in, like these things, you know, are, are countries made of small businesses of these sizes. And um, I just, I, I get so much fulfillment in helping them. Um, even if it's just having these initial discussions, clearing, clearing up a vision um, is just, it's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I listen, I get it because I, I feel the same way. And, uh, and it's interesting because, Listen, you know, here's the truth about it. And this is not like a judgment or a criticism. It's just what's so is that whether they hold the title of CEO or president in their company, right? Because they may very well hold that title. You know, most most folks, most successful entrepreneurs at that level, you know, are really, you know, great COOs or maybe they're great salespeople, right? You know, uh, you know, marketing people or whatever, like they have or technical people, you know, whatever it is, they have a particular skill that's gotten them to a certain place. Um, but you know, what I hear you saying, you know, what resonates with me, you know, when we say CEO, it's not just giving yourself the title of a CEO, it's really acting like a true CEO acts, you know, in normally a larger company where you are out of that day-to-day, where you're working classically as Michael Gerber, you know, talks about on the business, not in the business, yep. you know, and you and you're seeing a bigger vision and you're looking at the strategic, you know, growth and things like that. And that's and that's your job. Your job is actually you know, eventually, ideally, not anything that's operational or sales or marketing or whatever it is, you know, in the business. So, um, uh, you know, so I think that's, I would call it a transformation. I do think that that takes a transformation, you know, and I get how that may not be what you lead with because, you know, people come in that, you know, uh, they say, you know, I'm looking to grow, I want to buy companies and, you know, uh, you say, no, you need a transformation. Well, maybe we're not going to lead with that, right? But that's what happens, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot in you know, there's just one component to this overall thing that we're doing. Um, so yeah, you have to choose your words wisely, and and you know every every owner seems to be coming at it in a different place. You know, there's uh, the other thing I like doing, and it kind of aligns with the CEO transformation concept. Is a lot of what I get fulfillment out of doing is it's a lifestyle decision too. So not only is acquiring a business a um, can produce a lot of enterprise value enhancement. So the bigger size, bigger cash flow, etc. But it's well, oftentimes I'm having a discussion of okay, well let's value, we're going to enhance the the value of enterprise this this part of our plan. Um, but what about this transformation between business owner to CEO, which is kind of a secondary discussion? 
And when I talk about it, it's, it's, it's more about, you know, if you're able to make a couple of acquisitions, let's reorganize your, your organization where we hire a COO or a GM or a president, and you can spend more time with your family or on the golf course. And you're, because your role has changed, you don't need to be in the day to day. You need to be thinking strategically. You need to be thinking about your vision and your mission, the core values and, and leading, actually leading the people that are doing your old job, <laughs> leading them and inspiring them and mentoring them. And that's a whole different skill set that doesn't require you to be in the office every day for 80 hours a week type of mode of, of work. And, you know, that vision of, you know, oh, I guess spend more time with my family. Yeah. You still got to spend time strategically thinking and being in your, in, in your business, leading and inspiring, but just a different function. And a lot of the owners I'm talking to have been in the owner operator role for a long time, you know, 10, 20, 30 years sometimes. So I catch them usually in the later cycle where the, the, the CEO concept is, is attractive. They're like, oh, I would love to be on the golf course more. I'd love to see my family more. Um, so that's fun too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, so I, listen, you've had a, a you know, number of successes in, in this field with companies, but no matter how great we are, we all have ones that, that, that fail. So let's, let's stick on this. I'm going to move off it after this question. Let's stick on this mindset piece. Like what's the biggest thing that has somebody not be successful in that, in that, in that transition, right? From our owner operator uh, to CEO. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, they just, they don't commit to it. Mm. Um, it's too scary. So they, we end up, what ends up happening is that you, maybe it's, yeah, I think I want that. And then as they think about it, they're like, I don't know how to do that. And it's, it's a scary thing. And then you kind of shut down the whole growth strategy and they kind of go back into mm. their old role, which is comfortable, you know, it's comfortable there. I see a lot of the, you know, column um, false starts, you know, in a process for like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this. It's easy to pick apart a deal and say, I don't want to do this deal for X, Y, Z reasons. There's plenty of risk you could look at and say, I'm not willing to take it. Sure. So it's, you know, it's easy to find a way to say no. Um, so that tends to be a, a way that I start to go, okay, well, here's some deals that look good and we can do, but the, you're, you're saying no for these purposes or these reasons. Let's dig deeper. Like, is this something you really want to do? And et cetera. And then the ones that, you know, of course, there are situations where we're successful acquiring. And what you could see there is, well, there's a ton of things that go wrong there. But what you, where the clash can be is the owner-operator tries to remain in the role of owner operator on a much bigger organization. And now all of a sudden there's just bandwidth problems and there's maybe communication challenges and misalignment of messaging. And you can, you could see that too. Yeah. Yeah. That old, uh, that old phrase of what got you here won't get you there. You know, yeah. what have you be there already? So, you, exactly. know, you, get, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, and, and it's tough because listen, with any kind of significant growth and certainly, Within organic growth, with deal with deal room growth, because it it you know one day you don't own the other company or merge the other company or whatever, and the next day you do. So hopefully you've done good prep, and we're going to talk about integration and things like that. But you know it's it's the kind of thing where you know that the systems that worked before at the size you were at may not work anymore. The, even some of the people may not work anymore, right? And and you know you got to be able to react to that, right? So and yeah, I get that not everybody's able to do that. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. 
I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Let's go to the other, like the, you talked about enterprise value, right? Um, and, you know, and that's, and that's often the biggest driver for folks. They understand that they can increase, I mean, they may be acquiring for other reasons, right? There's a million reasons to acquire, whether it's acquiring, especially these days where talent, we see a lot of acquisitions these days for talent just to get the people because it's hard to hire. Um, they could be, you know, expanding into a complementary product line. They could spend, be spending geographically. You know, there are a lot of reasons to grow just just uh, by acquisition, just for the benefit of the business as it continues to operate. Um, but another one is that increase in enterprise value, right? Let's talk a little bit about that. And is that a you know, is that the biggest driver for folks? Uh, you know, uh, do they understand that concept of of buying to to create enterprise value for eventual sale, or are they more driven for other reasons to to do acquisitions only? I think it's, it depends. It's very situational. I mean, I think it's, uh, but I, I think there's common themes where people understand that um, they've been told, or even if it, just in a simple term, if your business is worth four times cash flow, a, you would take four times your cash flow now and four times your cash flow later, and you realize it's a bigger number. And just, right. just that concept, you know, can, is pretty easily digestible. Um, you know, I add layers when I, you know, and I'm advising that you know, oftentimes this is again, why I chose this specific market. Let's take a million dollar EBITDA company that's worth four and you can get them to two or three. Now their multiple just changed just due to the sheer size to five or six. So you just created value through the transaction. Now you got to do it right. And you got to integrate it right. And you got to do all the stuff, right. But, um, and they, they can, you know, most people understand that, but what some people don't understand is the, why those multiples go up, mm. you know, there's the, you know, and mostly it's because bigger companies tend to be less risky, yep. <clears throat> more customers, more cash flow, more room for air. Um, there's also a market for, there's a big market for buyers out there for those bigger companies that are have proven they've gotten through that you know, half a million to a million of cash flow barrier, and now they're above it. They're being more stable, and 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 you demand a bigger premium because of that. Yeah. And those are the things that you know. I think that some owners don't understand is, you know, you're going to increase the enterprise value of of your business because it's your we're de-risking through size and not, not just transacting. We don't want to go buy a box of parts and say we did an acquisition we and say that we did, you know, the value enhancement here, it's got to fit. It's got just like a puzzle. It's got to fit in uh, properly. So people, I, I think most people get the, the value enhancement. Uh, I think where more people don't understand it, or my clientele, they've never done a transaction typically, or if they did, they maybe absorbed a small, competitor who's going out of business or something, nothing to the extent of I'm about to double the size of my business type of transaction. So they, what I tend to see is they don't, they can maybe understand the value piece. They just don't understand the how to get there. 
it's because they've never done a process. They've never done something that, that big. So that's where there's some education on process and, you know, you got to set expectations and um, you don't want, you know, my job is really to eliminate as much as I can. I can't, I'm not perfect. Eliminate as much as I can, any surprises that may come up um, because, you know, those are the things that are scary for a first time transaction. Like, Oh my God, I didn't know that. Well, that's normal. You know, that's, that's a normal thing. Right. And then I go, I should have told you up front that, that this, this is going to come up and this is how we deal with it. And then we just kind of move on, but that's hard. That, that's, that's the inexperience of a small business owner and doing a bigger transaction like this. It's um, it's those things that, that can derail a deal. And it's partly why I, I launched this business is to help educate and build a process and a plan and be a advisor for them. So they have someone to turn to and say, is this normal? Like, right. should we be doing this? Because right. um, a lot of times they don't have that. They don't have those trusted advisors you know, helping them. They're, those advisors typically are working on bigger transactions and sure. bigger deals. So. so there's so many other elements we can talk about and we won't have time to hit them all. So I'll let me give you a menu and let's and I'll let you pick, uh, you know, right. maybe one or two where we can talk about, you know, where there's some lessons and things you think you can bring the listeners because we really, you know, we talked about the mindset. We talked about the why, right? And then after that, there's there's all kinds of pre prep to be ready to acquire. Then there's how do you find deals? Then there's how do you evaluate, you know, uh, deals to figure out whether they're good or not. Due diligence on the deals, getting them closed, integrating them afterwards. Maybe there may be some things around messaging and whatever, you know, you know, the, a lot of this is part of the 10 steps I talk about. So again, you know, we don't have four hours uh, for the podcast, uh, which would not be enough even to cover all that, that stuff anyway. Um, but, you know, you know, in all those areas or any that I might've missed, you know, what, what, what are the big areas that, you know, you, you, you help people out in, and even more importantly, just, you know, what are some of the lessons, what are the, some of the pitfalls, what are the, some of the opportunities mm-hmm. in the, you know, in those, in the, whichever, whichever one or two or I could go on and on and on. It's because I'm passionate about it. So cut me off if I keep going. I think we, so we've talked about kind of readiness and prep stuff that, you know, strategy and the why, and that's important. So maybe I'll kind of focus it on the later part of the, the transaction. You know, one thing that I help my clients with that oftentimes is really hard to do, especially if you're running a process solo, but even with me involved, it's, it can be challenging. Uh, but it, I think, I create, I'm trying to create uh, some value in the transition. And that is transactions are hard. We're dealing with banks. Maybe you're raising some equity. You've got lawyers and CPAs and reconciliations and quality earnings. You got all this stuff, valuations in the works in a due diligence process that you can get sucked in, focus on, I just got to get this deal closed. I just, you know, there's so much work. I just want to be done with this work close the deal. So have it and be done with it. Well, the problem with that is, is if you don't have an integration plan, you know, in that first 60, 90 days, you can erode so much incredible value of what you just spent a lot of money and maybe PGs on the loan. If you don't prep and really be thoughtful of your day one communication plan, for example, is super important, but no one, if you're not building that integration plan during due diligence, you're you can't build it all in one day and hope that for hope for the best. So, the one thing that if you know your listeners is going through a transaction and, the, and they're in due diligence and it's hard, 
it's time to start talking about integration plan. Like what are the steps on day one? Who's communicating what to who? What's the key messages you want for the people that are going to be receiving this big change that just hit them out of nowhere? Yeah. You know, I'm really sensitive to the human element there because no one likes change. It's it's hard. So um, I urge people really to think through. It's extra work and it's hard. Right. You're already maxed out running your business and you're maxed out doing due diligence. And now Ryan's asking you to build out an integration plan. But yes, yes. It, the answer is yes for all of those because, you know, you don't want to just, you know, start behind the eight ball day one with a, with a serious transaction like this. So that's one area where I, I do help that isn't often talk, talked about, you know, is, yeah. It's all, you know, it's sexy to talk about deals and deal structures and, and it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I can get, I can go, I can go there too. It's less sexy to talk about all the hard necessary steps. The project management of the integration is not that sexy, uh, but it's let's keep the value of what we just bought in intact. To me, that's, that's pretty sexy because um, right. you want to make sure you're not eroding value. So that's, that's just one example of places that, I urge my my clients, even my prospects, or even people in my network that aren't clients, you know, to to keep an eye on. And you know, there's so much in that integration conversation because you've got, you know, first of all, just you know, if you're a business owner thinking about doing a deal, think about all the stakeholders you have, right? I call them stakeholders, right? You know, there's your employees, there's your customers, clients, there's your industry partners, there's you know, who, I mean, we can go on and on and on, right? And all these folks are going to be impacted by, you know, that deal in some way, you know, probably, and certainly the, the, um, the targets, uh, you know, employees and customers and whatever, you know, but, you know, not only theirs, but yours as well. Uh, and you're going to, so you got to think on both sides of that. And then yeah, you, you just have all the practical areas, right. Of integration, right. What from tech to marketing to the, how the uh, you know, what you're doing with the executive team to, you know, um, you name it, messaging, you know, and, and culture and, so, I mean, again, we could do hours just on this single topic, integration, uh, yeah. right? <laughs> Absolutely. We de- yeah, it's, it's a big topic and it's, but it's important, you know, and it's, I just think it's, a, it's an important data point for folks. And the other thing that came up to, in mind with that question was, you know, it, it goes to this concept of why acquire, because I get, you know, it's obviously my job. I don't think it's, appropriate for every company out there. But you know, the one thing I see in the market that um, has me kind of revved up around acquisitions is the pace of change that we live in right now with uh, everything. I mean, you got, I mean, I won't even get into it. All of the things that are in our environment that are changing quickly, technology, got pandemics that'll hit you. Things change fast. And the, the companies that are most vulnerable to those kind of sweeping changes are these smaller businesses that make up, you know, a lot of our employment in the country. So, you know, when thinking about growth and how do I um, de-risk my company, you know, organic growth is fine. And I'm a, I'm a sales guy at heart. It's my entire career has been in sales. I love inorganic growth like the rest of them. And I, I can, it's fun. But it, it, I think it can only take you so far, especially if you're, even if you have the blessing of a rock star sales team, which a lot of these businesses, they don't, they, they, don't. they lack, the, they, they either churn over or maybe it's the owner's responsibility, um, is, you know, 
to de-risk is to get bigger. It's you know looking at other companies that offer complementary services, like you mentioned, or products or uh, geographic expansion. Can you grow with the client? Can you grow with one of your customers who are growing geographically? Use yeah. that relationship. Um, you know, is there a supplier you spend a lot of money with? You can you know maybe drop some additional cash flow to your business by acquiring. There's so many things that you can do to get bigger, not for the sake of being bigger, but bigger for the fact that you can be absorbed. Uh, you can absorb some of these sweeping risks, technology changes, et cetera, that are coming at us at, I mean, it, it, my head swivels at times trying to understand how fast things are going. And you have all these legacy businesses that are still operating in pretty old fashioned ways. And I personally, I, I have a lot of, uh, I, I love that. There's so much of it I love. Yeah. I also like part of me is going, ah, risk. Like we, we gotta, you know, we gotta get up and scale. So, you know, you're ready for something that, that might come up. And um, so that's another thing that came up with, you know, what are not, what are people not actually thinking about or what, what are people missing? It's, it's not just doing transactions to do them, but it's, you know, trying to think about it bigger and thinking about it in a, as just a risk management tool as well. Mm. Yeah. I love that. It's, um, you know, because especially when, if, if an entrepreneur hasn't done it before, um, they could hear about all the risks of doing a deal and there are also, and there are right. You know, and there are ways to mitigate those and, you know, the role you play, the role we play, you know, often is, you know, there's a component of mitigation of risk. Um, but, um, but very often, I think just, I think there's even like psychological studies and stuff that's done that, you know, we, we so uh, much more underestimate the risk of not taking action than we do the risk of taking action in general. So, you know, applying that to this situation, right. We, we are much less focused most entrepreneurs on the risk of not doing a deal to grow than, than the risk of, of doing a deal to grow. Right. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's what you're, you're alluding to. And I think it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, uh, it's easy to stay in our comfort zone. You know, and a lot of what I talk about is growth and growth is growth takes courage. And, mm-hmm. you know, the other thing that came through my mind when you asked that question is because growth takes courage and it's hard make sure you have all the advisors, like don't do it alone. Like, I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking, you know, CPAs and lawyers and other consultants and people that, you know, build a, build an advisory board, build, build something that you have people around you supporting you. You don't have to do it by yourself. And uh, because if you try to take on that type of growth by yourself, it's, you know, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really, really hard to do that. So you're right. Yeah. And those of us who, you know, do it all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm sure this has been true for you as well you know, where I've talked to client off the ledge, so to speak, right? You know, something, the negotiations got tough or, you know, the workload, you know, like you were talking about earlier, got challenging and, you know, and, you know, you got to pull them back and, you know, get them reconnected to the context on why it's good to do this deal, why this particular deal is a good good deal if it is. And, you know, and if we're far that far down the line, I assume, you know, we as an advisor, we've, you know, we've decided that it is for them. You know, I remember a deal we had in the last, you know, year it was a great deal for the client for both sides. You know, as a mergers, you know, gave them additional scale, additional capacity. You know, really made sense. You know, and the client generally knew that. But there was a point in the negotiation. Lawyer on the other side was a bit of a pain, to be honest. And you know, 
overlawyering and it just it just took a lot more to get the agreements done and back and forth and whatever. And, and the client was like, just tell them the deal's off, sell the deal's off. And I'm like, you know, just calm down. We'll get, uh, no, tell them. All right. So I figured, I, I said, okay, I'll tell them the deal's off. And then I waited. I didn't tell them the deal's off. I waited two hours. And then I reached back out to the client, right? I needed to give them time to, you know, to, <laughs> to breathe and, and whatever. And I said, hey, this is a good deal for you. I want you to really look at this. I, ultimately, it's I'll follow your instructions if you want me to, you know, that's, I work for you. If you want me to tell them the deal's off, I'll tell them the deal's off, but I don't think that's the right move. You know, but at that time he had a moment to breathe and whatever he said, okay, you know, you, you feel like we can work through. I said, yeah, we'll get there. It's just going to be more of a pain than it should be. But uh, trust me, I've been there before. We'll get there. And we got there and it's been a great deal for them the last, you know, 12, 18 months. You know, he's very happy that he did it, but you know, would have been easy without somebody, you know, uh, by their side who's been through the war before, so to speak, and has perspective on it for, for you know, uh, him to have um, called that deal off. It's what a great story. I mean, it's this is such an emotional thing. You know, yeah. it, uh, a lot of things are emotional, but a tr- big transaction like this, um, there's a lot of parties, a lot at risk. There's usually big dollars with lots of commas involved and it gets, it gets super hyped up and emotions are high and it's anxiety is high. And, you know, that's trying to do that solo, you know, in your example, maybe it got blown up because he just snapped and maybe what, you know, it was the right thing for him, but it's just the emotional um, toll. It can be a lot. So having another set of ears to just even just, you know, have them yell at you as an advisor, you know, let them get it out, you know, and um, to let them calm down. And, you know, just it, it's, it's important for advisors not to get emotional, you know, that, that you know, you see, you see that too. And you're throwing gasoline in there. You got to, you know, try to stay as cool as possible. And then most, you'll see most people that are cool and calm have done deals. You know, they've been like, Oh, we've seen this, this story before, you know, I, it's okay. Let's just, yeah, no, we, we've seen this movie before and we can calm it down. Um, it's just a, it, it's, it's an emotional transaction and, and it, that can add so much more work and pain to the deal. Um, so just surround yourself with as many good people as you can to, to help you through it. Yeah. I love it. So before I ask you my uh, final question, um, I want to give you an opportunity to let people know the best way to find out more about your services and where they can reach you. You know, we have our listeners on this, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, listenership has grown so much, uh, you know, and, and as we've analyzed it, you know, we certainly have people who are regular deal makers and just like, you know, being in the conversation and listening in and hearing what other deal makers are doing, whatever. And then we have a bunch of aspiring, you know, deal makers and many of them are in that category of owner operators, you know, just looking at doing their first deal or second deal, whatever it is. Um, so definitely, um, I think a lot of those folks out there can be really, you know, would be really be helped by your services. Um, so what's the best place for them to find out more? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, my website's probably the best. I have, you know, all my contact information is there. Pretty open with it at uh, gspiregroup.com. Uh, my my email, ryan at gspiregroup.com is another place. And then I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn pretty um I contribute to those platforms as much as I can. So I'm out there. So uh, those, those are the, those are the avenues. Excellent. So my final question on the podcast, Ryan, is always um, about my highest ideal in life, which is freedom. 
And for me, that means everything from freedom for all people from oppression in the world to why I'm an entrepreneur and I haven't had a boss in decades. Um, so what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's funny. I just was going through this some process uh, with my executive coach on this topic. Mm. I, I think I equate freedom to a certain extent uh, to this concept of peace for, mm. for me. And that's, that's, doesn't mean that it, there's no pressure and there's no growth. Um, it's, it's more about, you know, driving towards your destiny unencumbered um, and having the freedom, if that's the word, um, to, you know, take accountability for your own actions. You know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but they're my mistakes to make. And, that to me is the greatest form of, of freedom is, is taking that radical responsibility and, and driving towards your destiny. I, lo I love that. I love the way uh, radical responsibility, I believe in it. And I love that uh, driving towards your destiny unencumbered. I love that phrase that you used. It's, it's so great. Ryan, listen, uh, Ryan, I, I so appreciate you being such a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. This has been fun. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.